Hello and welcome to All Things Albion, the podcast dedicated to West Bromwich Albion. Please welcome my co-hosts. Firstly, on the 6th of May 2007, when West Brom beat Barnsley 7-0, he was there and so was I. How are you, Steve? Hello, mate. Yes, I was there and thoroughly bloody enjoyed it, didn't I? Uh, but one of my best mates didn't because, um, well, he's a he's red. He is. And also welcome the... Uh, one of the founders of Action for Albion. Uh, it's a pleasure to have him on the show. How are you, Ali? Yeah, I'm sorry, mate. I was there as well. Yeah. There you go. We're all there. Right. <laughs> did Mc, McShane score as well? I think he did, didn't he? So it was Phillips got a hat-trick, Ellington got two, Corrin and Gearer. Well, I thought McShane. I thought, I thought it was McShane played. Did McShane play that game? Oh, like, you're asking me. Oh, the, you're going in depth now. <laughs> it, it was like the ginger all quarry go make him mad. <laughs> you know he was still playing till recently. He was oh, no, playing he in Man United's youth team or something like that. Yeah. It was a bit like um, that. What's his name? The um, the one who played for the Wolves and Derby Huddleston. He plays for Man United though. He still. That's right. He, they signed him to like be part yeah. of the youth team. But anyway, yeah. we I think he was there to scare him, wasn't he? Oh no, Christ! <laughs> um, so we've got a lot to talk about this show. Obviously, we're going to talk about Action for Albion and the great work they're doing, the march last week and the, the leaflets they've put out and everything that's been going on. Um, but the thing I think sometimes people forget, Ali, is first and foremost, you're an Albion fan. So yeah, it'd, be nice to hear, it'd be nice to hear your thoughts on what's happening, you know, what's yep. going on currently, what about the game last night. So we're going to jump straight into the Cardiff game. Are you uh, sure? <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> gonna go we're gonna sort of start low and then hopefully get a bit more <coughs> positive with action for Albion but anyway yeah. so we drew 1-1 um disappointing result uh Daryl DK scored a nice goal uh, a good cross from Jed Wallace who was on the right briefly um but disappointment uh, away from home as usual so firstly I'll go to you Ali what did you make of the game mate um I think it's got to be very careful how I, how I say this because I was uh, I was I was really upset with it to be honest with you, and I tell you the reason for why. I just think that this is this result has been coming, and um, whilst we've limped over the line, this is my view, and I'm not pessimistic. He's done. Let me absolutely say he's done an unbelievable job to make us competitive from where we were, but that doesn't make him immune for criticism for me. And yeah. whilst he's done a fantastic job. I think he got it very badly wrong last night. And I just thought that when you've got a really, really poor team and they're a really poor team, when you bring your only focal striker off, whether he's fatigued or not, it just encouraged them to bring down the pitch. Now, we're not good enough, I don't think, to try to see out 1-0 victories. I just don't think we are. It was all well and good. Football's evolved since Gary Megson days. But when, don't forget, when we had Gary Megson, when we had those 23 1-0 wins when we got promoted, we had three blokes in the central defence, Gilchrist, Moore and, Ed, and Sigurdsson, that were heads on a stick. So anything that come into the box, they just bossed it away. Now, at the moment, we've got Dara O'Shea, which is competitive, but you wouldn't say he's a big centre-half. And we've got a converted left-back playing the other centre-half. So for me, when you're inviting balls to come into the box, like we did on, on last night, you're waiting to get punished. And it, we did. And I think we got exactly what we deserved. I, I, just, I just think at times, for me, I think he overcomplicates things. I think football's a really simple game made complicated by coaches. And I think that, to that, that we're not good enough to play a false nine. We're not Man City. We can't do it. I mean, there's granted people will say, well, Santi was only got 20 minutes in. Well, I ain't being funny. What's he doing on the bench? And if he's the only centre forward we've got on the bench, when you've got one that's made of glass, like Daryl DK's been, then that's a trouble to me. I just, you've got seven subs to be able to utilise. You're telling me that there wasn't a, a Jovan Malcolm or even, a, I know I'm not a biggest race, race clearly fan, but surely that's better than having the Jake Livermore that was never going to get on the pitch on the bench. So we had an option. I just I just thought we played into Cardi's hands and if we can't beat somebody like that, then we're never going to be quite good enough. And I don't, want to, I don't want to be pessimistic. I just think it's a sad indictment that we're going to be about where we are because we ain't quite good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming to you, Steve, obviously I'll just read off the starting lineup. So Griffith, Soche, Jai Peters, Townsend, Malumbi, Yakushlu, Wallace, Swift, Albright, and DK. And then as Ali says, <clears throat> there was no uh, foul, no Malcolm on the bench. It was just BTA, who was our only one striker. Um, so firstly, the starting lineup, did it make you scratch your head a little bit? I mean, a Jai, what, six foot four, and he's playing right back. 
Yeah, initially, I, I was, I was um, like everybody else, I think, to be fair, I was thinking, well, how is he going to structure this at, at the back? Um, it was possible, of course, that we went, at, at, which is exactly what we did do, is go three, three at the back. Yeah. Um, or five at the back, or, or whatever you want to call it, but certainly three centre-halves type of thing. Um, or it could have been, because O'Shea could have been pushed to the right and and Ajay come into the middle because, and I was thinking, well, what's going to happen? I was a little bit sort of uh, nonplussed, I suppose. Uh, but when it actually set up the way it was set up, it didn't surprise me uh, because I thought to myself, well, I rationalised it and I thought, what we lack often are dead balls and when when wingers get into the game is a tall, dominant centre-half at times. And at least Ajay, being on the pitch, he's there. He can he can be there for corners, both ends of the pitch. Uh, and it'll give us something that we haven't been used to for a while. So when it was actually set up the way it was, I thought, that's a bit of a departure. I was a bit surprised because um, I didn't quite expect it. But uh, I, I wasn't sort of, um, what's the word? I wasn't dreading it. Uh, and I wasn't too astonished that he was playing right back. But I thought there's a little bit of flexibility in there, to be honest with you. Mm. And then obviously, um, Ali, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, taking off DK and bringing on Reach. You know, that I agree with what you said, mate. You know, Carlos Corbran's done a great job. And I think there is an argument for if we don't get in the playoffs, it's because we almost surrendered, surrendered what, like a third of the season under Steve Bruce? But these decisions, because we are in the position we are, because we're trying to strive to get into the playoffs, these decisions are going to be looked at and it is going to make you think, well, what's going on here? And the big one was DK for each, wasn't it? And, and not having a striker against the team, with all due respect, is fourth bottom. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, going back to Steve, what Steve was saying, uh, uh, for me, you're exactly right. You want a dominant bloke in the air when you're defending. But you ain't going to be dominant in the air if you're playing right back. I mean, there was a point. I, I did laugh. He, he took a throw in and it looked like he'd never taken a throw in before in his life. I don't know when he saw it. Like, it was just like, he was like, well, what do we do here? And Darren Rache had to come over and take it for him. And I was thinking, you're a professional footballer and you ain't going to do and take a throw in. And I just thought, I just, for me, again, we, we, we went three at the back, we scored. Shape was okay. We looked at half decent. And then we changed it to a four at the back as soon as we scored. And it felt, it felt like, to me, we changed. We, it changes for change's sake. It's like... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think... I think the Crooks comes back to, and if this is what I've said. If somebody had said to me what this following sentence that I'm going to say now, I'd have said they were living in crowd cuckoo land or they were smoking something. If somebody had told me in August that the Crooks of our season would be a problem with Alex Palmer and Matt Phillips being injured at the start of this season. I'd have looked at them like they were from a different planet. But actually, since Matt Phillips got injured, the balance of the team has been totally shot. And I think he'll look back at that freezing cold Chesterfield game when we're 3-0 up against a non-league team at home. Yeah, yeah, and he brings yeah. Matt Phillips on for the last 20 minutes when you eliminate the risk, surely. And I just thought... That has been a comeback and bite us on the bum because ever, those that injury has made the team unbalanced. And what he's doing is take, taking Jed Wallace out of the best position who's been player of the season. He's taking him out of his best position. He's taking Swift out of his best position to to cater for Mark Albrighton to be in, right, in the right wing. For me, it's all unbalanced. We should leave our two best players attacking-wise in their best positions. And if it means an Adam Reach or a Mark Albrighton that's not quite as effective on the left-hand side. I'd rather the two that have been effective all season, especially Jed Wallace, in his best position. To me, as I say, I just think he's overcomplicating things at times. I love him. He's, I don't want him to sound overly critical, but you asked me a question as to what I felt, and that's genuinely how I feel. Overall, he's done a magnificent job, and it's nearly two points a game. But for me, he's cost us a couple of points in the last few games. I think the Burnley game, he cost us, I think, Watford game, and the choices that he made uh, last night, I think you could look at three or four points extra. Having said that, of course, the other side of the coin is he's got us a lot more points than we expected. So overall, he's done a fantastic job. But at the end of the day, we got to we got in a position to to be able to challenge in the playoffs. And I just think when it's come to the crux of it, he's been unlucky with injuries. But I just think he's he's made some really strange, bizarre decisions. Yeah. <clears throat> so looking at our league position now, 
We are uh, eighth on 55 points. We're five points uh, adrift of the playoffs. We are currently sixth place has been occupied by Millwall, whoever who uh, coincidentally we've got next. Um, so we've got nine games left to go. Millwall, Rotherham, QPR, Stoke, uh, Blackpool, Sunderland, Sheffield United, Norwich and Swansea. Um, it's It's looking less and less likely to get in the playoffs we need i mean i've said last week didn't i it was around about the 75 point mark after looking at the previous years um i don't want to be sort of too negative and no. but, uh, i don't know is 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 it is it too far is it too little too late are we not going to be able to strive and get to that sixth place do you think ali or do you think we could do it i think we're getting to the point where we'll need to do because not far off really i mean like against millwall the advantage is we've got two weeks we might get a couple of players back as well that's a big thing and yeah. if we build Millwall, we could well be back in it. But the, the the away form, whatever happens, we've got to pick a couple of points up, a couple of wins away from home, and hopefully continue the the fortress or thorns sort of thing. Because if we don't, no matter what we do, we ain't going to be able to be ringing and get enough points. I actually don't think. I think everybody beats everybody else in this league. It's a terrible, terrible league for me. I think it's one of the worst from apart from the apart from Burnley. Mm. The teams, teams ain't very good. I mean, how many times have you come out of a game saying, well, they're very good? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's a big, what about the Albion or the other team? <laughs> I think, um, for me, I just, I just think that it might be 72, 73 still, and because everyone beats everyone else. So if that's the case, we've got half a chance. But as I say, I think I think it is last chance for Loon against Millwall. If we don't get three points against Millwall. Looking at those sixes, Steve, um, only four of those are home games. So the majority are away, and it, it could it could be that away form that costs us in the end, couldn't it? Really. To be fair, performances like last night could cost us. Yeah. Wherever wherever they happen, uh, we're talking about muscle fatigue on somebody who's been at our club for what know, a very like short a, month. Yeah. a very short space of time in Chalaba. Um We're talking about. Um, DK fatigued, um, and and we're looking at a performance last night, which was slow tempo, uh, strewn with errors. Um, whether they be passing errors, whether they, these little flip passes that they hadn't given enough weight, so we lost possession as a result of them. We, we couldn't control the ball. I mean, in at the end, I, I rather thought, or towards the end, I rather thought that Ajay was was looking up to get a red card for that. Uh, abysmal bit of ball control as he was running forward uh, around the, uh, the the Cardiff penalty box. It, it was close. Uh, another referee on another day might have might have said that was red. Um, that would have given us another problem. Um, I, I don't know. We've got to be. We've got to be aware of how we play the game, and we've got to we've got to play at a higher tempo than that last night. I, I honestly think that any any of the top six playing that game last night against Cardiff would have beaten them really comfortably. I agree. Well, I, Steve, sorry to butt in, but I, I agree. But I think we could have as well. I just, for me, the, the, they were there for the taking. The second goal, they would have, they would have, they would have been game over. And I, that's, that's what my point. Really, that's what really frustrates me that we didn't go for it. I mean, the tempo you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. I haven't got a problem with the quick, quick, slow sort of thing, and I haven't got a problem with the building from the back. And I think the club, I think the fans need to have a bit more patience, especially at home. They've got to these footballs evolved nowadays, hasn't it? And we're trying to get people out so we can get behind them and move them around and stuff. But for me, again, it's not just the tempo. It's tempo. It's the speed of the pass. And it remains so. It's reminding me yesterday. I used to get mad when we were in the village because. He used to have the ball and he used to lollop the ball into people. And it used to be slow and it used to be cumbersome and it used to take ages to get there. We do that all the time now. When you play football, if the ball's zipped into you, by your reaction, you're quicker and you're on your toes because the ball's coming into you quick. You get rid of it quick. If the ball's just rolled into you at, at walking pace, it becomes walking football. It's very difficult to inject that tempo straight away. You know what I mean? And I just think that the whole tempo and our build-up play needs to be quicker, even if he's going backwards and sideways. Just the speed of the pass has to be quicker. I just think it... Just think there was nothing incisive. There was nothing, 
there was nothing incisive about about the game last night did, from did, from us. Do you think it has been for two games, the last three games? No, we've no. Three of the worst teams. I know people say the Wigan game will we make the post license. I still don't think we've done enough, created enough opportunities against Huddersfield and, and Wigan at home. And, and, and again, people moan about the atmosphere and that's a point that we'll probably come on to. But it works both ways. You've got to have something to get off your feet and get on your feet and skate about. And for me, on a freezing cold night, passing the ball so passively, that don't get the crowd going. It, it, well, it, it isn't just a question of that. It's like last night was a demonstration of exactly what I've been saying about 1 0. Yeah. And, and then sitting back on 1 0s because against the previous two teams, um, Wigan and Huddersfield, uh, we, did, we did precisely that again. We, we score a goal and then we seem unable or unwilling, well, I don't quite know which way around it is, to push for that second goal, to, to really sort of drive for that second goal to say, there you are, go to bed now. Um, and and I was saying that the problem with with just go, relying on a 1-0 win and then trying to sort of uh, manage the game as, as a, the modern parlance, uh, you, what you do is you, you leave yourself open to one mistake or one quality ball into your box, reducing yeah. your, your your haul by two points, and that is exactly what happened last night. I mean, exactly. it was it was awful. How, how, it, how it how it feels to me. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's like he's so conscious. And I don't make, I don't want this to be a piling session on Triple C. No. But he's so conscious of injuries. It's like right, we're one nil up. Right, okay, let's manage the game. Let's sit tight. And let's start taking players off that we're going to need for next week. Well, I don't think it's even that though. If you look at if you look at his record at Uddersfield, it was exactly the same. I mean, yeah, people true. say like it, it, but the, the the thing is for me when you're watching Albion, right? If you're if you're playing against Albion and you got you know they're going to settle for a one nil. But what you would do if if I was the Cardiff manager last night, I'd have been saying to the kid who's come on, get on Peters' shoulder when the ball comes in the box. You've got a good chance of beating him in the air because at the end of the day. He's not bad in the air. But he's certainly he's not, not his forte. Tough, he's, he's, he's in the air, is it? So, so if you if you were to if you were, if you tell you a wide man, get the ball in and around Peters and let let our, our guy compete with him. He's going to get a good chance, and that's exactly what happened to me. All defending, poor goalkeeping. But for me, I just think we invited Cardiff on because we didn't have a presence up front. So they their centre halves could move the ball ten foot, could move further ten yards up the pitch because they didn't have anyone to mark. Well, the very reason that Peter's at centre-half is because RJ can't do what O'Shea can do. Yeah, I, I do think I do think a right foot and left foot balance helps as well, though. I do well, it, well it does, it, it does. But I think the main reason, the main reason, I mean, whether or not, whether or not you put, whoever you put it in the central pairing has got to be able to play the Corberan way. Yeah. And the Corberan way is to play out of defence and to, to pass the ball around and to draw draw the opposition on it's it's quite it's patently obvious now that that's going that's the way he's going to play it's his strategy the tactics may vary but the strategy is that that's that's I one of his tenets that. i would i would agree do it i agree can't do it i'd agree you wouldn't say bartley would either would you and bartley was the mainstay to be fair bartley before he got injured you wouldn't say bartley was comfortable with a ball at his feet steve to be fair but well, I'm, what he I'm, what he has done he's dominant in the air isn't he I'm not even considering Bartley because Bartley's got his new contract and he ain't bothered. He ain't playing anymore. And well, he's been injured. Well, well, yeah, he's injured. Yeah, but it's like it, as soon as as soon as we get as soon as they get a, a new contract, then the, the, the issue is around their fitness. Now, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not anti Bartley. Bartley wasn't the the bee's knees until a, a few games before uh, he, uh, he he became injured, if you like. Uh, he, he scored a couple of goals. He, he was and suddenly he became this this great prominent sort of centre half for us. Before that, to be honest with you, he was he was prone to the gaffes. That, yeah, absolutely. And but what I'm talking about is so, and I'm not really piling on to Bartley, to be honest with you. That I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about Ajayi, and I, when we saw Ajayi uh, come on, and and he was playing against Chesterfield, oh. I saw straight away the reason that he's not playing since he's since he's uh, recovered from his injury for uh, for Triple C in in the centre of our defence because he he doesn't seem 
he doesn't seem to be able to control the ball swiftly and cleanly enough to play out from the back. And and whether it, if he could, if he could do that, and I saw evidence of it last night as well, to be honest with you, the ball getting stuck between his feet, the ball getting away from him, miscontrolling the ball, etc. I saw it a few times. The worst occasion was when he was in attack, as I said. But, but you could then build either O'Shea in with him, but as, as you rightly say, you need a left foot in there to complement the, the, the balance of the centre of the defence. Or you could even you could even play um, Peters in there with him because Peters is is decent. However, because Ajayi can't do that, and he, 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 that's what's been illustrated to me, is he's ruled himself out. That's why he was picked last night at right back. Yeah, I, I, I just I think the part that, again I, I think we, we the next season is going to be interesting, obviously because there's, there's various things if we don't go up. But I mean the foot. <laughs> Somebody asked what we needed. Two fullbacks, centre half, centre forward, a wide left. Apart from that, we're all right. You know what I mean? We're <laughs> right in goal. In goal. <laughs> yeah, we're right in goal. I mean, again, again, like if you want to be hypercritical, and I don't want to be, again, because it sounds like we're just having a mound fest, but I think that whilst Griffiths has done okay, if you want to be hypercritical, the Blackburn goal and last night, a good goalkeeper keeps them out for me. I, I think it's going to be part. I think it's going to be Palmer. I think once Palmer's back fit, I, I think it's uh, for me. Triple C will put him back in. But let's go yeah. to have your say because we've got loads of comments and I want to give them their time. So thank you everybody yeah. for commenting. So let's go to Twitter first. Uh, Jaman uh, at Sports Guy Jeremy, thank you for your comment. He said we're playing for the whole season against Millwall. <clears throat> now we'll come on to the Millwall game in a little bit and we'll talk about how sort of big that game's going to be. Uh, we'll go to at DY1Baggies. He said the persistent changing of Jed Wallace from right wing, right midfield is clearly to the t- detriment of the team. Surely can't be doing it just to accommodate all Brighton. Chalabar now injured. What is going on in training? I wonder. Grant, Palmer, Bartley, Chalabar, all injured in training. Apparently DK was fatigued last night, according to Triple C. If he is that fatigued, then should he should we be allowing him to fly out to join the USA team? Surely two weeks rest will be the benefit to someone who has been injured for so long. Um, we come back to the age-old argument, don't we, of sort of international football versus team football? It ain't an argument for me, Mike. I mean, I'm sorry, sorry to butt in. We're paying his wages. We it's down to us. And for me, last night I'd have run him in the ground. And if he was, if he got it, if he did have any, if he if he was fatigued and he couldn't get us, yeah, so be it. That's we're paying his wages and we need to win football games. And I know we've got to manage players. I understand that, and I've said he's made a glass. We've got to wrap him in cotton wool. But I, I still can't get past that. We've got seven subs and we've got one bloke that says he can only do twenty minutes, and we didn't have another choice as a centre forward. That isn't good preparation and planning. That isn't for me. No, you've got a good point there. I mean, what do you think, Steve? Is it? It's not ideal. He's going to the going to the USA team. I mean, are these friendlies? I don't really keep up with international football anymore. But he, he needs a rest. If he's get you know, if he can't do ninety minutes for the Albion and he's tired, the last thing he needs to be doing is flying out to the USA team and playing two two games there. Really, I agree with you. To be fair, he's not in a position to be playing international football. Uh, the, the considerations are around what he's going to do for them. If he's fatigued um, and and he's he's been managed the whole season at West Brom, uh, he's missed a, ch- a fair chunk of it. And since that time, he's been managed. Uh, I, I mean, I, it, it's rare for me to to think of a previous situation whereby we've had a, a centre forward that we've paid a substantial amount of money for that only ever plays an hour. Um, we ain't we, got a very good record spending money on fence forwards. We ain't got a great deal of uh, well, going back in my time, I can remember David Mills yeah. being bought. And and yeah. to be honest, you know, and 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 players, we you're right, in other words. But what I'm saying with just just focusing on DK, um, if he's only going to play an hour for us, then somebody needs to be on that bench who can then give us another half an hour. Now, last night. It was vital. That was a must-win game last night. People, people tend to forget that the last three games have all been must-wins for us. And last night was a must-win. Now, 
if we haven't got somebody on the bench who can do 30 minutes, they shouldn't be on the bench. If they can't do 30 minutes, they shouldn't be on the bench. So if BTA can't do 30 minutes, he shouldn't be on the bench. The fact that he came on the pitch instead of someone else um, yeah. is shows shows a, 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 an interesting conundrum to me because we have one or two other players who have appeared for the first team, the, uh, the, the, the first team squad, if you like. They're, they're there or thereabouts. But last night they weren't there. So he brings on Adam Reach. Now, Adam Reach comes on for DK to do what? Now, all I can think of is to try and retain the ball higher up the pitch because he doesn't like it. And to give the players at the back someone who, to release the ball to who will, who will do something with it. Now, that, that, that's a reflection to me on, on DK. It's like, why are we bringing somebody on like him for DK? If we aren't. We aren't. We aren't going to be playing him centre forward. So what is he going to be doing? It, it's I just more retention. I just yeah. think he's overcomplicated it. To be honest, again, goes back to overcomplicated. I mean, I mean, I agree with your point, Steve, about if somebody being on the bench. But the football nowadays, you've got seven subs to choose from. I agree. I, I, I just don't see what Livermore. Yeah, yeah, why wasn't going to play Livermore? Why didn't he put a Malcolm or yeah. a fall on, even if it's just a kid? Because let's get it right. We'll talk about action for Albion in a bit. If we don't get up this season or next season, they need to be bloodied in because this squad is going to be vastly reduced in numbers. So the whole idea when we've been speaking to Ron Gourlay and, and, and what will it look like, these are going to be critical people in the next in the next 12 to 18 Absolutely. months to two years. Absolutely. So, so if they're doing that now and we still... Look, we're still going to put a 34-year-old who's finished and he hasn't played for weeks and weeks and weeks instead of these kids. What message does that say to, to, to no, the academy coming through? Well, as, as, regards, as regards Malcolm is concerned, um, that kid did well against Chesterfield. Now, I know, I know what people will level at me when I say that. But you've just got to look at what Malcolm did as opposed to what Cleary did. And Cleary didn't have a bad game when he came on, against, when he was playing against uh, Chesterfield. He did, he did one or two good things coming in from the left. But, of course, he did that, and then he hasn't been seen since. Fair enough. It's not fair enough. But Joe and Malcolm did something. He, he was he was bullying um, the Chesterfield defenders. And, yeah, OK, they're National League defenders. But they he bullied them. And he got a goal with his head that he, he was second best yeah. to get to. Now, when you see something like that, I, I genuinely wonder what it is about... And as you, you raised him, um, why isn't he on the bench instead of um, Livermore? I, I, just, I, I just don't understand. The Livermore decision makes absolutely no sense. It's I just, just don't understand. Yeah. I, I mean, they, 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 I suppose I'm playing devil's advocate and I'm, I'm again, I suppose, to add to my argument because there's always two sides to every story. He was sent over Accrington because he couldn't get in the Accrington team a couple of years ago. So that's what people are level at you. But until what the point is, if you know that Bray BTA is is can only do twenty minutes, surely you get an insurance policy when you've got seven. If there was only three yeah. subs like there was years ago, fair enough. But you've got seven subs now. You don't gonna you can only use five of them. So I just didn't I just didn't defied logic to me. It just didn't make any sense. Very similar to what we talked about, what's cost us bringing uh, Matt Phillips on to get in again. I know any, anybody can get injured any any time. I get that, but we were three 0 up at home against a non-league team, and he brings a key player on. Whatever we think of Matt Phillips, he, he saw him as a key player. When you're three 0 up at home in a, a minus five game with a person with muscle injuries, surely just eliminate that risk. I'm not saying it, it couldn't have happened on the Saturday. Of course it could, but my point is, why even take the potential risk that actually happened? And now he's out for the season. I just thought. If he had it, like, put it like this, if he had his time over again, I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't have made the decision that he made against Chesterfield and he wouldn't have made the decision he made last night with the substitution. That's that's my point. I think he realised he's probably got a couple wrong. But he deserves that opportunity to get a couple wrong because of the fantastic job he's done. So, oh, absolutely. You know yeah. what absolutely. I mean? So I'm very grateful for it. I don't want to sound like I'm on him because I think he's done an unbelievable job and I think he's a special coach. I think the big thing to remember, of course, is that last night it was the players on the pitch that didn't uh, that didn't prosecute that game uh, adequately and didn't come back with three uh, three points 
uh, it wasn't C, Triple C, whoever was on that pitch should have been able, from the position that we were in, to win that game. Uh, and they didn't. And I just, I, I just think it was a poor show, really. It was, it was a, it was a must-win game, and we didn't play it like it was a must-win game. We you played think we it did on Saturday. Sorry. Do you think we did on Saturday either? No, no. This is what I'm, I, I think I said earlier on, really, yeah. mate. What, what I'm trying to say is that what, what, what I was talking about for the previous two games, the one nils, came home to actually roost last night. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I said he was going to bite on the backside, and it did. You know, yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah, it's been again, coming, hasn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. So let's go to some more have your says, and then we'll go to Triple C's comments. That we'll go for action for Albion. Okay. So I'll just reel off some of them because thank you everybody. We have got quite a few comments this week. So Jack Evans said, after another Adam Reach masterclass, who's the worst Albion player you've ever seen? And then Troy put Adam Reach. <laughs> um, yeah. To be fair to Adam Reach, I think that's a little bit harsh. I mean, he's not the best player in the world, and I've definitely got my criticisms, but I think probably Ken Zahor must surely be up oh, there. For me, there's there's one standout, and I'm a bit old, I suppose, I'm 45, but the worst, there's two there's two awful footballers that stand out for me. Stuart Evans, who was probably one of the worst centre-forwards I have ever seen. <laughs> he, bought, he was six foot seven and he couldn't edit. He was actually smaller when, he, when the ball came up to him. And the other one, was a Bobby Gould one, and this is a true story. You probably don't have ever heard this. We bought, we bought a bloke, and it was the year that um, the squad numbers were just coming in, and we bought a bloke for two hundred and fifty thousand from Stockport, a guy called Paul Williams. Oh, and he went, wow. to, he went, he went to see him. Right, this is God's honest truth, and it was a year when they had Paul Walrus and Ian Marshall, where he was having centre forwards. It was a bit of a trend. The centre half was turning to centre forwards, and he went to saw him, and he scored two goals for Stockport. It was the season he coming this quarter of a million quid, which was a lot of money for Albion in them days. And he'd given the number nine squad number. And Paul Williams looked at Bobby Gold and says, What's that? He says, William, centre forward, number nine. I said, I'm a centre half. He says, Oh, when I came and watched you scored two. He says, That's the first time I've ever played up front. <laughs> and we bought him and he was god awful. But there's a, yeah, those two. And I suppose uh, Stuart Bowen and Scott Darton, honourable mentions. We could have had, I think we could have had. Some fullbacks that we could have had a, a, an 11 of really bad fullbacks, to be fair. So I, I wouldn't even put Adam Reach in the squad of the worst player I've ever seen. I don't think he is either. I, think, I don't think he's, I don't think he's, a, he's ever going to be a, um, no. a, a player that you'll think, oh, he, he did well for us. No. But he, he, he's, he's certainly not one of the worst. I, I just don't, I'm not having it. No, mate. I agree. Well, with then, you. Who's your worst, Steve? Well, I mean, well, nobody's mentioned goalkeepers, and I mean, I've got to say, Paul Crichton was one of the worst. Oh, he was they, to be fair, David Button. <laughs> he's right well, no, even he's David right Button looks like Gordon Bloody Banks compared to uh, Paul Crichton. Yeah, remember Crichton at the Molyneux? Jesus, right? Well, there are there are innumerable players, and I have to say, I remember David Mills. We paid half a million quid for him uh, for Middlesbrough, and the most prominent thing yeah. about him was a pair of white Hummel football boots, and. Uh, and that was that was his that was his trademark. Oh, and a, and a bubble perm, but of course that was uh, that was Dewey Gear at the time. Do you, do you remember when we were playing? I think it was Norwich, and their goalkeeper got injured, and we were all chanting, "We want Crichton, we want Crichton." He come on, and we still didn't score. <laughs> <laughs> I think another one as well was George Riley as well. Do you remember him? Oh yeah, do you? Oh, really? We've had some crap players over the years. Yeah, we have. <laughs> so anyway, now no, Reach isn't one of them. So let's go to some more comments. So Paul Garbutt, thank you very much for your comment. He said, did you understand the second half tactics against Cardiff? I didn't. We were trying to defend a one-goal lead against a very poor side. Taking DK off fatigue in advance of a two-plus week break is crazy, especially replacing him with Reach. Much more difficult to beat Millwall than a more ambitious, than, than be more ambitious uh, versus Cardiff. And then Tonky Towers, thank you for your comment. He said, brilliant march in March and a superb turnout by nearly 4,000 fans. Our Triple C's substitutes born out of desperation rather than tactics, i.e. DK reach tonight and 30 minutes remaining. Away following awesome, but still unable to win. 
and then we'll go to Facebook. Glenn Hillman, thank you for your comment. He said, thanks, Carlos Corbran, for a great season, especially his album at Bottom not long ago. Also look forward to the rest of the season. Unfortunately, I can't see us making the playoffs now, as we could potentially drop four places, also be eight points adrift come this weekend. Looking forward to next season. Also, massive thanks to Ali Jones and his team, Boing Boing. Uh, Mark Stevenson, please give a big thank you to Alistair and the rest of A4A. Uh, also, still behind Carlos, but he's becoming a bit of a tinker man. Uh, Greg Lowe, we are not beating Millwall, that's for sure. Timothy Jones, negative tactics. Uh, Mark Wilkins, we need to win 7-9 to make the playoffs. Five away and four homes left. It isn't happening. We have Stoke and Swansea away, two places we never get results. Let's hope we can make a challenge next season, as this season is a write-off. And finally, from Adam Townsend, he said, Reach for DK is really baffling decision to make, unless there are concerns about DK for any reason, and concerns BTA lacks match fitness after his suspension. Felt like we accidentally subbed the wrong player on football manager, especially with how soon BTA come on after. Players aren't impossible. Playoffs aren't impossible, but feel like Bill very unlikely now. However, things can change fast in this league. I'm not hopeful, but never forget we were 11 points behind Wolves in that season with Megson. Stranger things have happened. My sad sinking feeling to this season is how different it would have been had we a Steve Bruce dropped David Button and b we'd have been brave enough to change things with Bruce even a few games beforehand. We are victims of our own doing, as always. Albion that. Um, I did reel off a lot of comments there, and thank you very much, everybody. But what's your guys' response, so Steve? You know, what's your thoughts? Uh, we talked about the playoffs already, but you know, was it our own doing? Did we stick with Steve Bruce for too long? Should we have dropped David Button earlier? It depends on. It's all about context. The, the, the season that we are in at the moment, it with our owner, is one that provides a very. It's sort of like a unique context. We are with backs to the wall. We're, we are, let's, let's be honest, we're all anxious because of the situation we find ourselves in. Now, as a result of that, we're all nervy, anxious, stressed, and, and, and we want, we, as a result, we're willing the team to probably do things that they're not capable of doing, um, win comfortably, uh, because I'm sick, I'm sick of uh, not scoring enough goals. We seem to be unable to score any more than one goal, and I know we've done it from time to time. But it so, as far as that's concerned, I'm not surprised that that uh, that um, Triple C is doing what he's doing. And of course, I don't know what he's doing, but I suspect that he's he's got half an eye on next season, you know, and he's got to be looking at this squad and thinking, I am going to have to trim this squad because. Of the situation we find ourselves in that context so he's looking to see under certain circumstances when we and he's having to risk it in a to do it inappropriately perhaps sometimes like last night when we're one nil up you bring your dk off um and who do i put on instead well i don't know the logical thing is obviously to bring bta on but he's got something going on in his mind whereby he's thinking we, if we can manage this game, I've also then got the opportunity of seeing how whoever it is, whether it be Adam Reach or, or, or anybody else, how they deal with the situation in a position that they're not necessarily used to, to see who I keep, who I retain, who I get rid of next season. And again, perhaps that's colouring his judgment, perhaps that's informing his decision making. Um, it's it's really complex and difficult. I, I understand what you're saying, Steve, but I mean, for me, it was the last game for two weeks last night, and I, whilst I would agree if we'd had another game on the weekend and we had to manage the team, we could we, it, we could all left it all out there last night. So just, uh, I just again back to I didn't understand it. We've moved on now, but I mean, very interesting point that you make. I think one of the key things that I, I'm not not worried concerned about, and this is one thing that I mentioned at the last meeting with Ron Gorlaine and Skidmore last week, was that the pressure and the nervousness, as you quite rightly said, is only going to ramp up next season. Because it's obviously to everybody that if we don't get up next season, then the football club will look completely different in the year after. Now, that pressure has got to be managed and that's got to be taken away as much as possible from the coaching staff and the players. So we, we, we made this point 
when we were there say, obviously we want that to be considered whilst we've got every right and we need to make sure that we ramp up the pressure on trying to force the sale or whatever we want to do and we'll, we'll come on to actually in a bit. But the most important thing is that we ring fence that pressure getting the football and the players and the coaching staff because it's very important that whilst we carry on our work that we are fully behind the team as a fan base but also what we need to do is make sure that the football the football team aren't um, aren't suffering with, with that pressure. I think the people who are suffering with the pressure are the fans. Yeah. I think I think Triple C's got a four-year contract or so, and uh, and the players have got their contracts, and and they know they know what their their situation is really. The boys who are on loan um, may or may not be in next season, or they may be offered contracts. Well, I don't know, but I think the the people who are really stressed at the moment and anxious is the fans because we're looking at our club possibly. Um, disappearing in in one or two seasons or possibly three mm. it, it so the context is he uh triple c in is looking in a slightly different direction to the rest of us he's looking to take us forward into next season should we not succeed this season and he's not thinking in terms of the sorts of things that we're thinking about we're the ones who are frazzled um he might get he might get a little bit animated on that touchline, but not to the same extent that I am. Um, well, when he sees the budget for next year, though. Well, <laughs> well the tenner, but another packet of crisps. <laughs> but it, it, this is West Bromwich Albion. To us, it's our everything. He is dedicated. He looks to me like a driven man, and he's going to do his level best for us. But at the end of the day, if 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 we don't succeed and something happens adversely to our club, he will move on. Because that's his profession. That's what he does for a living. This is not what we do for a living. We're the stressed ones because we're gonna we could lose our club. That's all I'm saying. No, I understand that. I understand that. One of my point was though that I think um, what what I was trying to say was with regards to the pressure points. The, I remember Jake Livermore and and Martin Swain and all that when we got promoted during the COVID years. Um, the last time under Billich, the relief around the football club when we got promoted and, and we now probably understand the reasons as to why because we were in a similar position that we are now if anything slightly better that time but we were in a world of mess uh, um, if we hadn't got promoted when Billich was there and it's exactly the same this time and next time we've bought ourselves a little bit of time with the with the Wonga loan which we had to do um, I'm sure we'll come on to that in a bit but I mean the, 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 at the end of the day We've put our we've put we've put our house on on black, if you like, <laughs> so, you know, and it, it, it's a it's a huge pressure around the football club next year because we know that if we don't, the football club whilst it won't it won't go in like go away like what what the worst case scenario, but it'll look a lot different. And the people that have supported the club since two thousand and two need to speak to people like you and I, Steve, that were there in the 80s and 90s when it was a completely different football club to support. Yeah. <clears throat> right, so let's go on to Triple C's interview, then we'll talk action for Albion. So, uh, you're talking to WBA.co.uk, no fire alarm, no cat's tail, just a pure interview this time. Uh, he said, when you're an ambitious side like we are, you are never going to be happy when you only take one point, not three. That's the case for me, the coaching staff and the players. The feeling in the dressing room was like one defeat, one of defeat, and certainly that's what we have left two points here. I don't think that's a negative. I think it's important now to take this feeling into the next time we wear an Albion, our Albion shirts and realise the one point isn't enough, we want more. We didn't achieve the target that we had. We wanted three points in football. You don't always get the things that you want. In the first half, we didn't use the opportunity we had to create more chances we could have unbalanced the game more. In the second half, we were protecting the lead. We had more than we had more than going for the second goal, which would have given us something else. We were missing opportunities. Maybe with five minute five more minutes we could have won the game. 
the most important thing is to get some rest and recovery in the next few days because the players have been playing a lot of games recently. At some point, they need to break away from the mentality of the busy schedule and all the games, but at the same time, I want them to hold on to the feeling that they have in the dressing room, the one, one of disappointment and frustration. We have to use this feeling for the next nine finals we're going to play. When you are ambitious, you have to go for three points in every game. I know that the determination to get victories will make the difference in the last part of the season. So he still sounds quite positive. Um, but let's go into action for Albion. So we said this off um, off Mike Ali, but big congratulations to you, the action for Albion team, the fans. It, it, you know, it's been a fantastic thing that's you know grown and grown and grown. I mean, you're almost a little bit of a celebrity at this point. <laughs> You've been I'll on say that the latest. No, I <laughs> You've mean been um, on every every podcast, every show going. I think media a media whore. But I mean, <laughs> I think I think the the idea was look, um, all joking aside, the, the the idea we had when we started this, we were going to set we set up like a bit like a political campaign, and when you set it up a bit like a political campaign. You've got to keep the, the message consistent. And somebody, one of the comms blunt said to me, keep rhetoric uh, repetitive to resonate. And what we've tried to do is we've tried to be very consistent with our message from when you very kindly invited us on at the very start of this. Um, and, and we've just been slowly built. Um, and that's been key. We've wanted to build from solid foundation, really. So we always made crystal clear our commitment to be legal, supporting the team, and whilst we're learning all the time, it was very important that we believe as a committee, because it's not just me, and I stress this, there's so many people that we've got Paul, Paul and Dave who are right-hand men, but then we've got loads and loads of people. We've got strategic thinkers throughout the group. And as we've grown, we've got more and more people with us. But I mean, it was very, very important to us that we don't get anything through misbehaving um, and what I'm really proud of more than anything for our fan base is that they've taken that on board and the dialogue and communication is key to change. You're never, ever, ever going to get um, changed by playing up. And where we've got to, we've got national exposure that we would never have got if, we, if our fans had played up. And I think, well, I don't think, I know, because of the commitments that we've had from people like established people like Kieran Maguire, Philippe O'Claire, um, Martin Caledine, Oliver Holt, these people that are, are, are talking to us now, and they're they're saying that it's in 30 years of uh, Philip Alclair, for instance, who's a, a renowned journalist for the Guardian, said in 30 years of doing following football in England, that we are the best, most professional fans campaign that he's ever ever worked with, and he's worked with the Glazer ones, he's worked with Liverpool, he's worked with all of them. And he said, as a as a fans organisation, it's the most professional one we've had. That's not trying to blow smoke up our backsides, mate. That's just to tell you where we're we're very proud. And and from for me as a football club, I've always been proud of of being at the forefront of change, whether that be in the late seventies through the three degrees, whether it be touring China, touring Russia. There's loads of things that Albion have been trailblazers for. So. As a fan group, we wanted to continue that and we wanted to be at the forefront of change of football. Whilst people are criticised and saying what you're trying to do about the football governance is too late for West Brom. Uh, OK, but like that doesn't mean that it's wrong to, to, to have, have a say about football governance in this country broken. And, and throughout, for, for us to be asked to talk about it politically in the political spectrum and through the FSA and, then, and, and through national journalists... Surely that's a feather in our cap that we're being spoken about at these sort of tables. Now, that can only be a good thing that Albion, that the story of what's happening with Guacho and Loy is now getting exposure that at the end of October and beginning of November last year was never, ever mentioned. It was the biggest untold story in football. That can't be said now. I mean, we've appeared on news, radio, as I say. It's been hard work, but I'm really proud of what we've achieved as a group and I'm really proud of our fans that they've, they've taken on board. And there's big support out there for yourselves, other podcasts that we've been on, as I say. But at the end of the day, it isn't it isn't an ego trip, lads. It genuinely isn't. I know that you've said it, I've a laugh and a joke and that. I've sacrificed a lot for, for this cause because I believe that somebody had to do it. And if it wasn't me, then it would have been somebody else. But at the end of the day, I'll get, I'll get it. I've, had, I've had some abuse. I've had, I've had various things and you just let it wash over you. But 
I absolutely, honestly, I can tell everybody that's listening to this, it isn't about Ali Jones, Paul Faulkner, Dave Rouse. It's about standing up for our football club and trying to make a change for the better. No, absolutely. Um, when we last spoke, uh, like you said, right at the start of this, um, you, you mentioned about a march. You said, well, people have said to me, OK, when we're going to organise a march. And you said to me, look, we've got to build our credibility with the fan base. We've got to, you know, do the groundwork. We've got to, you know, get our manifesto as such in place. And then we don't want to walk. You said we don't want to run before we walk anyway. Yeah. Obviously, now you've done the march. It was a big success. Does, yeah. that, does it feel for you like that was the culmination? I'm not saying this is the end. I'm not saying, oh, that's it. You know, you're going to go away now. And Really good question. Yeah, but do you feel that's the culmination and the validation for everything mm-hmm. you've done up until that point? Yes, um, but but the, the reason why it's a really good question, and this is what I wanted to put out there, and we haven't had any prior sort of questions to you, but I'm glad you've asked it and you've asked it in the way that, the way I want to answer it is that when you move through, again, it's a bit like a campaign, you move from different phases. For me, this was the end of phase one. This was about getting the exposure out there to reach to such a crescendo that we've got 4,000 people that actually felt enough emotion about it to come and march to the, to the Hawthorns. Um, so that is a massive, massive stake in the ground, really. So where we build from that, um, I'll be honest with you, lads, we've been absolutely knackered. So we've we've quite rightly just taken a back seat. I made sure that everybody in the committee and said, look, we've got an international break coming up. Let's all let's all recharge and re-energize because I mean last week, I mean, again trying to blow smoke up my own backside, but I did 80 odd hours last week working for this and it's free. It's my my own time. Yeah. Other lads have sacrificed the same. That's not sustainable moving forward, really. So we just need to recharge our batteries and do actually our proper jobs. <laughs> but um I think I think so the question that you asked about was it the culmination? It was the end of phase one. And what we want to do is recharge our batteries ready for phase two. Phase two is about continuing to lobby, but then going a little bit harder with regards to asking some really difficult questions. A dialogue and a useful and meaningful dialogue, as you can see, the minutes that we've had. At the end of the day, lads, again, again, people asking for recordings and all, all rubbish like that, but it's about building trust and credibility with each other. So whilst, whilst we want the club to do better, the club have got to build trust in us. So I'm really proud and I'm grateful that the club have taken this out. I mean, who would have said, lads, at the start of this, that the game at Huddersfield, that we'd have had banners in saying, lie out and shame on you, allowed in the ground. It, it wouldn't have been... No. You'd have been like, no, never in a million years. Well, because of the trust and the way that we've built things and the, and the, and the credibility that we've gathered through the club, the club realise that we're actually trying to do the best and we're reasonable people that we want to help with the football club and and as I say I can't speak highly enough of the safety officers that are making these things possible so there's lots of ideas that we've got but what we will absolutely consistently be is exactly what we've always been legal peaceful and supporting the team so anybody that's asking us to do these walkouts and things like that it won't happen while we're looking after it because that doesn't support the team. Yes, it makes it difficult to be different, but that's what we want to do. We want to support the team and not the owner. Certainly not. And as I say, as we're learning, we started the, the slogan of support the team, not the board. Well, as I say, it's all about communication. What we've actually found is whether people like it or not, and we've got people that are very sceptical of Ron Gawler, that's fine. All I'd say to you is that after three meetings, and I genuinely believe this, and the other guys do, that are very experienced businessmen, he's doing his best in a really bad situation. It'd be a lot worse if he wasn't there because it'd be even you'd, you'd be nobody steering the ship. So when we saw that and we got support from the board and the, the olive branch was, was was grasped from Ian Skidmore and, and Ron Gawley, then it wasn't fair for us to say not support the team, not the board, because actually the board are doing the the job so we changed our, our mantra because we're reasonable people and support the team not the owners became probably the correct message to do now that doesn't mean that that won't change over time because again action for Albion are here for the long haul it's not just a short-term fix this this is going to be the long haul even to the point that if we do get what we want the utopia that Guatemala 
is no longer part of West Bromwich Albion's ownership structure. That doesn't mean that Action for Albion's finished. It just means that we're looking very carefully at the next owners and the next incumbents and custodians of our football club. Steve mentioned something about Carlos Corbin. It's even more pertinent when we talk about owners. They're custodians of the football club. We own the heart and soul of Albion fans. That's that's very very important. And all we want our, our mission statement from the from the start was that the custodians of the football club, whoever they may be, treat it with the best interest, both legally and morally. And I think it's fair to say that the guy we've got at the minute has failed on that. Mm. I think the other important thing, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, Ali, but you know, before before the march, you were obviously like popular, and 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 there was you know, real sort of support behind it. But do you think that really sent a message to Lai, to Gourlay, you know, to the to the sort of decision makers of our club to say, bloody hell, there's some, some you know, physical support. Like there was 4,000 people there. I think Shine a Light was a, was a catalyst for it. Again, as I say, you build on solid foundations. So I think, I think you, when you're looking to protest, you have to, you, you push open the, the, the easiest door to open. So you know, when you get somebody in a seat that can just turn a mobile phone on, that's really powerful because it shows it's a ground of, of opinion. It's not just the the noisy the noisy minority, which which some fan groups are. We showed that there was a, a general unhappiness throughout all four corners of the ground, or three quarters, not the away end. But the, the, there was there was there was, a, there was a there was a perception that, and this is what Ron Gourlay said to us. It became very apparent after the Blackpool game when we first did it. This wasn't just a, a minority of people. This was a groundswell of opinion. And we've slowly built on that to the crescendo, as you say. Some things aren't going to work. Let's, let's face it, the white paper protest died on its backside. We tried various things we're learning. And, and, and there'll be other protests that, that won't work. Um, but what we will do is we'll continue to try to think outside the box. We're never going to... Whether we've, we've got success from the media is because we've thought about it differently. We're not a fans group that are just copying other people, the planes and the tennis balls and all that. We're doing things differently. And that's where key has been for me, the major change. Media look for something different. And that's been the major change. Even the march, to have it as well behaved as we did. And uh, I'm really, really proud of the megaphone and all stuff like that, DJ Dave on the mic and all whatever. But there was one point, I don't know whether you remember this on, on Saturday, we got to the Halfords corner and we were just about to turn down and I was on the megaphone saying thanks very much. And just as I was about to finish, there was the bleep Gooch and Light chant just about to start. And what I was so proud of, we got on and said, lads, we've told you about this, let's calm down, please. Let's we've got kids around. And it changed. And and that for me was a testament to the respect that we've gathered and, and generated over the time because We've tried to be straight with people. We've tried to reason with people. We've tried to be very consistent in our message. We've tried to listen to, every, and believe me when I tell you, every suggestion that we have from our fans, that we're working for our fans, are talked about in the WhatsApp groups and in the committee groups. And we don't just say, oh, that's a rubbish idea. We'll talk about them and then we'll talk about the merits, what the possibilities are. We've got some really good ideas coming up, some things slightly differently. So... But again, it's a lot easier when we've got the help of and the assistance and the facilita- facilitation of the football club to make these things a bit more possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so talking about your your meetings with uh, Ron Gawley and Ian Skidmore, obviously, you know, you released the notes, but what's your sort of hopes? The next one, obviously, um, Ken's got to go to China, isn't he? And, and sort of relay Ken. Relay, relay the message. I'm sure that's going to go really well when he puts the leaflet down and says, what do you think about that? <laughs> we've got videos, we've got the leaflets, we've got all sorts for these little... <laughs> They're going really <laughs> well over at the Midlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's so popular, mate. Come out and have a chat. Um, so I think, I think the, the utopia would be to sit down with Mr. Like, the likelihood of that, I've probably got more to do with like Margot Robbie, if I'm fair, in fairness. <laughs> Um, we'll continue to ask the question. Um, what we absolutely do need, though, is we need to sit down with Ken, and we've made that abundantly clear, because at the end of the day, we can't keep having no comment, or we can't comment because the only group director, and it's very complicated, but you'll see all of the loans were committed by WBA Group, not West Bromwich Albion Football Club. The only director in WBA Group is Zuki. 
So it's absolutely paramount of importance that we get down to sit down with Ken and, and discuss. There's many options that we want to do. Um, one of the other things that we wanted to do as well, guys, and I spoke to you about this, Mike, um, we're we learning from other people and other football clubs and other, other fan groups. What we'd love to do um, is we're working, we've worked closely with shareholders for Albion. I can give you a little bit of exclusive. We're talking, we have, we have communication with, with shareholders for Albion are a fantastic group in there. Believe me, they're not just working out for the benefit of shareholders for Albion. They're working on, on behalf of us all. I can tell you absolutely categorically that for a fact. So what we're looking at doing potentially, and I'll reach out to every Albion fan group that are listening to this, is that we're going to take the lead and we're going to send an, a, a statement out of our dissatisfaction of the way the club being run. And we want as many Albion people to sign the statement. And I'd love, I've said to you off air, uh, Mike, and obviously you'll have a look at it first. We want anybody that does things in the media or a fan groups for Albion to join us. And if you want to have a look at what Southend have done, uh, it's very similar, but they've all joined together. Now's the time for a unified voice for our fans to be united because at the end of the day, whether we agree with everybody or not, some people think some fan groups will disagree with other fan groups, that's fine. But we've all got to stand united to support the one thing that we all love, and that's the Albion. And I think that that's a really powerful, if we can be uh, Action for Albion, All Things Albion, um, Actor Albion, Polish Baggies, as many people as we possibly can, shareholders for Albion, to all put a statement together to say, this isn't right, this is our football club that you're messing with. And this is what we feel. And we'll and we'll do it politely. We'll be rude. We'll be very courteous, but absolutely abundantly clear that we're not going to stand for what is going on. It's now, what is it, March the 16th, March the 17th tomorrow? When's, when's early in the new year finish, lads? <laughs> That's a good point. A very good point. Yeah, this £5 million loan. I mean, again, I don't want to get on my, on my soapbox because I can do. And I know that it's about passion, but... How can it be right that we've got a five million pound loan that's two years late, and we've got fifty thousand pound fixed interests, whereas we've had to buy a got a twenty million pound and we've got to pay twenty eight million pound back? It's not exactly the same, is it? You know what I mean? Ridiculous. So I mean, there's no late fees. There's nothing. It's just again, there's loads and loads of things. We're not going to do it now, but it's not just a five million quid, lads. It's twelve million. He's culpable for yeah. twelve million, and that's what people miss. I mean the. The £2 million one, just do some homework, go in West Brom News about how that came about. I'm not going to say it on, on air. Have a read. Just do some, ask, get some of the guys just to have a little look at how morally bankrupt this is. And just, how we've got ourselves into this mess is just incredible. It really is. Yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> so that's just fantastic, mate. And obviously, if we can support you, then. Thank you. We will. Um, let's go on to the Millwall game before we wrap things up. So we did talk about it already, but um, I think this is as as much as a must-win game as it as it possibly can be. Um, would you agree with that, Steve? Absolutely, it's a must-win game. We've got to rectify everything that we didn't do on um, well last night, uh, and and we've got to, we're playing a much better, much higher tempo, motivated team. Um, so yeah, we, we, we need it's a must-win game now. Every point we drop, uh, or every two points that we drop, mean the next game is more of a must-win. Because if we're going to get the two points per game that we need, we can't afford many more mistakes. So uh, Ali, um, what's your thoughts on the game, mate? Obviously, with five points adrift, what do you think? I think I think stays at the nail on the head. Don't forget that there's a, there's Albion connections. So I'm I'm, I'm um. I'm doing a little bit with with some old players and Robbo's a, a, a mate and he's assistant manager or coach at, at Millwall and he's looking forward to coming up and he loves Albion but obviously he wants Millwall to win but so there's a bit of an Albion connection there but um, again it's a Muslim game it's a huge game I actually think that sometimes we play better against better times so it's better side so I think having Millwall at home there'll be a little bit more of a raucous atmosphere obviously with what Millwall bring um, and I think the up and atom sort of Gary Rowett style football might help Albion inject a bit more tempo than we've seen the last three games. You can only play the side in front of you, of course. And I think we played well against Middlesbrough, didn't we? And I just I just look at the, the teams that we've played in the hot top half of the division. 
we seem to play better against them, don't we? I think that's yeah. a fair enough assumption. So I actually think we've, I don't think it's, it's, I think we'll win the game actually, I do, I fancy us, but then, as you say, we've got Swansea and, and teams like that, those are the teams that we tend to historically struggle against. But no, just leaving to say, Ali, thank you very much for joining us, mate. Before you really go, how can people, you know, get on board? How yep. can people follow and keep up to okay. date with what you and Action for Albion are doing? Okay, so um, obviously we've got the Action for Albion, which is Action, the number four Albion on Twitter. We've got Facebook group. We've now got the Purpose Built website that, that's up and running, actionforalbion.co.uk, Instagram, TikTok, all the stuff that kids do that I ain't got a clue about. Um, and obviously Ali Jones nine on on Twitter. We've got WhatsApp groups. If you want to if you want to join the WhatsApp group, just DM me uh, Ali Jones nine or Action for Albion, and we can add you to the WhatsApp group. Uh, just wanted to take the opportunity to thank you guys for your kind words. I really appreciate it, and thank you very much for the support from the start. Um, we really appreciate all the support from every Albion fan. So um, thanks a lot. And as I say, we're genuinely doing it for Albion fans, not for ourselves. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. So um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to follow us uh, us on social media, can on Twitter. We are I am at MikeyWFC or Mike from All Things Albion on Facebook if you search for All Things Albion. And as always, if you could follow us on your podcast platform of choice, whatever you listen to us on us right now, if you wouldn't mind clicking subscribe or follow, it is really appreciated. But leaves me to say thank you so much for your time, Ali. Thank you very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure as always. Boing, boing. Boing, boing. Cheers, lads.